welcome to the Hungry Authors Podcast. A hungry author is someone who is, quite simply, hungry for it. They're willing to do what it takes to achieve their writing dreams. If that resonates, you're in the right place. I'm Ariel. And I'm Liz. We're two book coaches, editors, and writers here to help you get there. We interview experts and chat about all things publishing and writing to educate and build a community of successful writers, whatever that means to you. Welcome. Let's get started. Hey guys, welcome back to the Hungry Authors Podcast. Today we are super psyched because we have Megan Faulkner, a friend of ours, a fellow podcaster. Her <laughs> book is, well, while we're recording, it's about to be out. By the time you hear this, it will be out. So today we're going to talk all about her book, basically the launching process, the whole process in general, but specifically the launching because she's doing some things extremely right. So Megan, why don't you go ahead and just introduce yourself to everybody real quick. Right now, I don't feel like I'm doing anything right. So that was so kind. <laughs> you are though. Only just brewing coffee, right? That might be it. Um, my name's Megan. Thanks guys for having me. This is so fun. I am, um, I work in the faith-based nonprofit space in my like full-time job. And now I get to say that I'm an author as well. I have a podcast, Wife Me Up, which is like my favorite place to hang out um, and chat with people and an avid communicator. I love coffee and Haitian orphans are my passion in life and sunshine. I live at the beach. So I spend a lot of time outside and I'm really grateful for that. So that's just kind of who I am. Oh, that's amazing. Okay. And so let's talk a little bit about your book. So your book is called yeah. happily ever after all it on is. purpose, living in a fairy tale world. Mm -hmm. And the audience for your book is Christian singles, right? Yeah. Unmarried Christian women. Um, but do you know, what's so cool. So the target audience is unmarried Christian women. Like that's the niche for sure. However, the feedback from some pre-orders that got pushed out a little early and um, beta readers, and then some people at the publishing house that I use that publish um, are saying like anyone can find themselves in this, in this story, in this place that it's so niche, which is what I wanted. And that was on purpose. Right. But they can take out my thing and put their thing in and the application can still apply. I don't know if I can use both those words in a sentence, but I just did. Um, so it can still apply to them, which has been awesome. So like, for example, my friend's husband who are a couple generations older than me, um, wrote this morning and was like, I read your book last night while my wife was cooking dinner. And I just felt like I was talking to you. And I put myself right in there in this situation. And here's a man that's been married for decades and is older than I am. So it was just the feedback is just so kind. But yeah, the niche audience is unmarried Christian. Oh, that's so cool, though. And I know we worked together on the book. <laughs> I had the honor of editing um, an early draft of this, which was so fun. And we had a big debate <laughs> about <We did. laughs> the audience and how do we kind of, you know, make sure that we're not like trying to talk to too many different people and serve too many different readers all at once. But that's yeah. kind of the, the irony of niching down on your audience is that when you niche down, 
it actually becomes more universal. And I think you're seeing that firsthand. Yeah. I really had to trust you on that. I was, I didn't know what I was doing. And when we started working together, I'm so glad that you got to say you're my developmental editor. Cause I didn't know how that was going to go. So I'm pumped. <laughs> <laughs> Ariel was my developmental editor and we did, we had a big debate. Like I was like, I don't know. Are you sure? And then I just was like, listen, she had so much more experience than I do. I'm just going to choose to trust her. This is the niche. And here's, here's where we're going with it. And it worked amazingly. (laughs) Yeah, that's so awesome. Okay, well, let's start with your idea. Okay. This spawned to some degree from your podcast and your community. You know, we love talking about the origination of ideas. So tell us about how the book came to be. Why was that like the next logical step in everything that you're doing and sort of how did the podcast and all the content you'd already created and the members of your community kind of play into the idea? Yeah, that's a cool question. So I kind of always knew in the back of my mind as an adult, really like college on, I started writing and I had this blog and it had like regional notoriety, right? Like I wasn't lighting the world on fire, but you know, it'd get a couple hundred likes, a couple dozen shares and those kinds of things as I would publish stuff. And so people would start telling me like, you should write a book. And I'm like, what the heck am I going to write a book about? Like, okay, I'll write a book for you. What do you want me to write it on? And as I kind of developed just my personal life, really, as that my personal life developed, and then I would um, continue to write, I knew that there was a message that I had that I wanted other people to hear and that I kind of knew they had to hear. So I started working with hope writers actually, who I just adore and love, and they have been really incredible resource through, through the process. And, um, so I, you know, took all my classes and did all my stuff and joined all my groups and was just like, okay, if I'm going to do this thing, if I'm really going to say, I'm going to write this book, then I'm going to do it well. I'm going to do it right. And I'm going to do it with people who know more about it than me, because I know absolutely nothing. So I just started listening first. Like I would listen to all these Tuesday teachings and I would listen to all of these people who just knew so much more than I did. And then I joined a little, um, kind of cohort of people who are kind of on the same track I was like okay we have this kind of little bit audience we have a little bit of platform and a little bit of an idea and then I was pitching this one idea to this group one day and and it was kind of about being stuck and I was like I really I have this idea I think it will work I think it's big enough but small enough and blah 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 and this one woman I'll never forget this as long as I live she looked me dead in my eye and she said what makes you the authority on that and I was like whoa I mean I don't know I guess I'm I guess I'm not the authority on that. And she was like, no, you, you got to go down. Like you got to peel that peel. That's good, but it's not great. And I was like, okay. So then I just like kept peeling and out came this, this book from my personal life and um, just the life of the community and the people that, you know, I kind of interact with regularly. And so I, I ended up changing obviously what the book was originally was this kind of concept of being stuck in something and how do we get unstuck um and and that's a part of this book but it's not the whole part of this book and from there i interviewed a hundred women who were in this same situation that i was i just was like if i'm going to write this 
for this group. I want to know what they want to read about. And so I interviewed 100 women in that same category, started asking questions, had follow-up interviews, had phone calls, had Zooms, you know, went hundreds of emails back and forth, and then kind of was able to craft this idea of, okay, if I'm going to write to this group, now I know what they need, and, and I can write that. I don't want to. I didn't want to write this, but but I can. And, and as it developed, I decided that I did want to write it. So that's kind of how it came about. And I think that's a great principle of marketing and launching as well, is that you are actually probably without even realizing it, kind of planting the seeds for a successful launch right from the get-go with the feedback that you were getting from your peer group with, you know, joining a writing group online and kind of discipling yourself to like to the process and to those people. And then in, you know, interviewing over a hundred, you know, people in your target audience, those are all best practices for marketing and launching the book that maybe you weren't even consciously thinking about at that point, you know, oh, I'm, this is going to be helpful for me later on, but it really was. Yeah. I totally wasn't the, I'm not smart enough to know that that's what I should have done. Right. I didn't know (laughs) this at that point, like round two, I would have, I can know that, but round one, what do you know, as a first time, I know nothing, right? Like I'm just learning, I'm learning everything. So I didn't know that, but I think what it did, especially the interviews, people then began like following or telling their friends, like, Hey, she's going to write something. I don't know when it's coming, but like it's coming. And so then it kind of gained this like little traction, you know, I'm not lighting the world on fire, but there's a little traction there that people were interested enough in like, what, what is this thing? And, and it turned out to be really good for my (laughs) pre-sales. Yeah. So you decided to self-publish. Tell us about that decision-making process and why self-publishing turned out to be the best thing for you? Yeah. So I published through Market Refined Publishing. Um, To be honest, I didn't know what to do. I, I had this manuscript. I finished the manuscript. I worked with a developmental editor, I worked with Ariel, and I was like, I, I remember our last phone call, like coaching of that. I go, okay, well now what do I do? Like, I don't know what to do. And she was like, all right, well, here's like 36 options that you could like consider. And really at the end of the day, Market Refined Publishing was the perfect fit for me, is the perfect fit for me um, because they were like, you have a story. And so we're going to, we're going to help you get that story out. And at this point in my writing career, I wasn't necessarily interested in spending a ton of time pitching to a million different publishers, writing a book. The book was done, right? So I didn't, I didn't feel like, okay, let me write this proposal and then have people tear it apart. And, and it's a very timely message. Like this, this message specifically is doing well because of the time that we're living in, in the world. And because it's 2023 and because women are finally getting a little bit of attention in the world that like people are interested in preparing for this. And, and I mean, reading this. And so I just felt like it was really a timeline decision more than anything um, that I just 
to be really honest, I think actually Ariel pitched it to Market Refined for me. I think she was like, hey, do you want to meet? Because you guys are similar and this is a great message and you're going to love them and they're going to love you, blah, blah, blah. So it, again, it's just a networking thing. I trusted who I was already working with to launch me to the next step. That person did that and it's working beautifully for me. I'm so, so glad to hear that. It's been such a great partnership for you because I know um, we did a workshop with Mandy, the owner of Market Refined Media in March, and that was really wonderful. So it's just makes me so happy seeing like all of these wonderful people working with each other and creating new things together. Yeah, they're amazing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So tell our listeners like a little bit about what the process is like working with a company like Market Refined Media. So technically they would be like an assisted self-publishing company. So tell us like, what is it like working with a company like that? And specifically around the launch of the book, like what has the planning looked like for launching the book? Yeah. So what's beautiful about a process like Market Refines is that Technically, this is self-published, right? But it, it feels 0% like that because I have friends who have self-published, who have put on KDP and all of these different things, um, and they're doing so much. Like they're sweating. I'm doing a lot, but just very different worlds. Um, and so like I log on to a system that has a checklist for me that someone made that says you do the X, Y, and Z. And for me, as a first-time published author, like that's what I need. I needed a checklist. I don't know what I'm doing. Like I needed someone to say, this is step one, this is step two, this is step three, this is what we need you to do. Um, so the process has been beautiful in that they already have a process that works, right? They've published books before, they know what they're doing. And so they're they're niching that process to me, right? So, okay, here's Megan, here's Megan's book. We're gonna change the, we're gonna use the same basic formula structure and we're gonna plug in the things that Megan needs. And we know that this thing works. We have historical data that this thing works. We've seen return on investment that this thing works. And so we're just gonna do it for her. And it's been beautiful because it does work. And, and we have seen that with books that they've published before. And so now in publishing mine, we're just, you know, changing little things, little target audiences, obviously, you know, some um, social things, things like that. But I just am very open to being surrendered to someone else's process that knows more and is much better at it than I am and just doing what they say. And, and I think that's why partly it's working so well because, Sure. I have questions. We don't agree hundred percent on everything. That would be so boring. Like if you agreed hundred percent of the time, um, but I trust them enough to, and we've had hard conversations where Mandy or her team at kind of this like assisted publishing has said like, Hey, listen, we know this process. We know this system. This is what we think will be best. You have the freedom here to do what you want to do. You can make a decision in A, B, or C. We think you should go A. We're going to advise you towards A. But if you choose B or C, we're going to support you. And so it's awesome. And then I go, oh, no, no, let's go A. <laughs> that's, what it has to, that's what we have to do. Um, so yeah, it's been a beautiful process in that they're just so helpful and kind and have a system that works that I'm just a part of now. That's really cool. That's awesome to hear. Yeah. Um, okay. When we last texted, you yeah. said that you were at like a thousand pre-orders. What's the number like now? Cause it's been a couple weeks. It's over that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's really crazy. I, 
okay. I never like really in my life understood pre-orders and now I'm understanding pre-orders, like why they're important, the kind of like buzz that they generate. Um, and we thought I'd get a couple hundred. And honestly, I was going to be like pumped if 200 people pre-ordered this book. Like I was like, oh, great. Like that's my family's 50, right? And then like 150 other people. That sounds like a great number. And we logged on to the system that we're using. Um, we're using Ingram. We logged on to that and we were like, wait a second. And then I like email Mandy and I'm like, is this real? And she's like, yeah, this is so real. So yeah, we're, um, and that's none of the pre-ordered eBooks, which we know are definitely a percentage now, right? Like we're just getting the numbers for the print. So they're like 30 days behind or whatever their accounting system is. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. That's good to know. Are, yeah. These are just print pre-orders. The eBooks still calculate as zero, even though we know people have pre-ordered an ebook, especially now everybody's right. you know, people are using ebooks a ton. Um, so yeah, it's um, we're cranking. That's amazing. Okay, before we get into like how you did that, mm -hmm. I do want to tell people that I know you didn't share the exact number, but let's just say well over a thousand. Let's say it's like twelve fifty. Okay, twelve fifty. <laughs> That's like, I mean. There are big books at like published by like the big five who don't get that many pre-orders, you know, like that is so amazing and cool. And like, I don't even remember this out. I'm going to butcher it, but it's something like more than 90% of all books in their lifetime of sales don't sell more than like 10,000 copies. What is it, Ariel? I think the average is way lower than that. It's like- okay in the hundreds, most right. books sell in the hundreds of copies, not yeah. thousands. So like you're already and way above that. Yeah. Megan's book hasn't even launched yet. And she's already sold more than like, and if the 10,000 number thing is true to do that, you'd be in like the top 1% of best-selling books of all time. And you're, and you're like well on your way and you haven't even launched yet. Okay. So really dumb. I know it's crazy. So how did you do it? I know like market refined media is amazing. I'm sure they helped you and they have their checklist and all that kind of stuff, but like, seriously break down, like why you think this worked and don't be humble. Okay. <laughs> okay. I honestly, I have three things I've been thinking about because okay. now I don't sleep anymore. So there's three things that are rolling around in my head. One, I understand I get it. I understand it. We've talked about, I've, we've talked about it. I've listened to you talk about it on this podcast about social platform, right. And building this platform and how it's, I don't really have a huge, like I have a couple thousand Facebook followers. I have a couple thousand Instagram followers. Like I'm not lighting the world on fire. I have a following, but it's not, it's not necessarily social. So one thing that is not lost on me is that like, Kids that I went to fifth grade with posted that they bought this book. People that are my mom, my mom's chiropractor bought the book, right? Like my mom's small, my grandma, so that's mid-Atlantic grandma, my mom's small group at her church in a tiny farm town in Delaware all bought the book. 
right? So I understand social platform is important, but we cannot negate real life relationships here because that has what that is single-handedly what has sold this book for me. Maybe not single-handedly, that is the majority of what has sold this book for me. And so there are, I get it, the social platform's important. I don't want to sound like it's not, but I I love maintaining relationships. We, I talk about it in my book, like how maintaining relationships is really important. And I think I just am, I don't know. I, I think of just my my personal sphere. People are like, oh, I, I like her enough <laughs> to buy that book for $14.99. And so, yeah, I think personal personal relationships have sold this because then like my mom, small group, they're not, they're, they're 80 year old women. They're not following me on social media. Right. But I have a personal relationship with my grandmother who then says to her small group, like, Hey, my granddaughter's published. You guys should read this. And then eight to, eight to 10 women buy it. Right. So personal relationships for sure are something that, um, I don't want us to discredit when we're thinking about these things. I mean, just, I love the power of a motivated mom. Like, right? heck yeah. We all need someone like your mom in our corner. Every <laughs> author needs one. <laughs> we need mom-ums. She is That's hustling right. this book more than anybody I know. I think she sold like 15 copies herself. <laughs> okay. What else? What were the other two? Okay. The other two are personal relationships. I made, I hired someone to make a sizzle reel for me, like a, a book trailer that did really, really well. And, and this is what I want to say to other people who are in my position. It is worth the investment, right? Like if we want to sell some books, you have to invest something into that. And I'm not just talking about time. We don't ever want to talk about money, but like, we have to talk about money it's okay to invest in yourself. It's okay to invest in your project. It's no secret. I don't care if you have the best publishing deal in all of the world, you're going to put something out no matter what, if you're buying stickers, if you're having your friends over for champagne and a champagne toast, and you're the richest person in America and you have the best publishing deal in all the world, you're still going to have to put something out, right? Like there's still something that, that you have to put out. So if you're writing a book, put $20 of your paycheck in an envelope so that it's like not a shock when you're spending money on whatever. So I have been doing that like very strategically. I work again in faith-based nonprofit work. Like I'm not lighting the world on fire with my own personal paychecks, but somehow I made it work, right? Like there is, there is that. And so I just decided when I started writing this book that I would invest in this book. And so it was little bits at a time, little extra money at a time, little bits, whatever. And then at the end, when there's an opportunity for me to have a sizzle reel made by a professional who does a videography for a living, and it's going to be really good, it's not going to break my bank and I'm not going to not get to do it. I do get to do it. It doesn't get to break my bank because I've been strategically saving for this project, for this investment, for this book for years. Like when you write a book, it's not a surprise. You don't write it in one night and publish it the next day. Like it takes a long time. So just save your little pennies and then you too can have a cool sizzle reel. And then that just did really well. So the sizzle reel we put out, we put it on my website, put it on Instagram, put it on Facebook. And it had like thousands and thousands and thousands of views at the end of the day. So the juice was totally worth the squeeze there. Okay be friends with lots of people and yeah. have a good grandma. A good grandma. 
sizzle reel. Yeah. What's number three? Okay, number three is I used to be really timid about like saying I was writing a book or that mm-hmm. I was publishing a book or mm-hmm. even the contents of the book or what it's about. I literally told my nail girl today. I told the guy at the bank today. I told the CVS cashier yesterday. And then they literally like the nail girl bought it while I was sitting there getting my little nails done. She was like, hold on while you're drying, bring it up on my Amazon. Let's put it in my cart. Had I not told her that she probably wouldn't about why she wouldn't even know I was publishing a book. Right. So I just had oh to my like, gosh. stop being weird with myself and start being like, like, you know, you had to get some cash out of the bank for some things for a launch party. And the guy's like, Oh, what are you doing? Something fun. Yeah, actually I wrote a book and here you can buy it. And here's the name of it. And thanks so much for coming. Give me my cash so I can pay some people. <laughs> and so now I just will tell anybody who will stand still long enough to listen to me. Oh my gosh. I love it. (laughs) And Megan, I remember like one of our early conversations, you were like, I'm an Enneagram three. So anything you tell me to do, I am going to do, and I'm going to do it to like the nth degree. And I feel like we're just seeing this here. (laughs) What is my checklist? I I will get it done. (laughs) Yes. All authors need some, uh, we need, we need a grandma like yours and we need some Enneagram three energy. (laughs) I have a lot of it right now. Um, Megan, why is there a bee on the front with like honeycomb looking design? How pretty is it? It's so good. But I'm wondering, like, what's the symbolism? So there's three points in the book where we talk about it's kind of this transformative thing that happens Mm -hmm. throughout the book. So in the early chapters, we talk about getting shame, feeling like you're getting stung by a lot of little bees at the same time. And then we move into like this really kind of pivotal moment where someone calls a group of my friends queen bees. And it was for the first time ever in my recollected memory that it wasn't a conversation about relationships. It was a conversation about women who are walking in their purpose because my group of friends are like insane. They're just like lighting the world on fire. And I was having a conversation with someone and he was like, man, you guys are just like queen bees. You're all just like doing it. You're just like killing life. Like, so it was this very like kind of thing. And then the last chapter, uh, there's a, I talk about how, um, God provided honey in the rock for people um, when there was nothing that he provided something. And so it kind of just this honey and bee theme that like traipsed through the book. And that was not intentional, really. It just kind of like happened. And then we all picked up on it. I know that is so cool. There are honestly a lot of like really small details that were just really, I don't know, really touching throughout the book. Like every, at the beginning of each chapter, you start with like, there's pitfall thinking and then there's purpose thinking. So you kind of like lay out right at the beginning of each chapter, here's kind of, you know, the dichotomy that we're dealing with. And obviously that transformation of moving from pitfall thinking to purpose thinking. And then I also love that each chapter is a letter to the reader. So you chose to write this book. I mean, it's a, it's a prescriptive nonfiction book. We would call it that's kind of the genre, but you chose to do it with this epistolary style of writing letters to the reader that makes it feel very intimate. And that was something that from the beginning, when we started working together, I was like, Oh, this is so cool. And every chapter, you know, has a different theme. Um, 
And so like, there's, you know, you've got a chapter on family ties where the letter starts, Hey sister. And then you've got a chapter owning it. And it starts with, Hey conqueror. And I don't know, I just felt like every, and we, I know we kind of labored over like, what is the right (laughs) term of endearment for each (laughs) of these chapters? But it really is, um, you know, it's a good strategy for making it feel very intimate and warm and personable for the reader. And I think that's part of what helps motivate the word of mouth is because if it feels like it's really written for me specifically, then I feel good about handing it to my best friend who will also feel like it's really written for her specifically. Yeah. It also helps me write, you know, like when you're talking about like, who is the person that you're writing to? What, what, what is she, what does she feel? What does she need to think? When I could write her a letter instead of just writing a chapter, I did feel like I was writing to a friend and it made this the actual writing process, um, not easier, but better, I would say. Yeah, that's amazing. I was wondering, you know, Ariel likes bees a lot and raises them, basically, takes care of them, whatever. She's a beekeeper. So I was like, maybe Ariel snuck some bee. bee I did not. I did not influence this. (laughs) However, I do approve. (laughs) Not influenced, but definitely (laughs) co-signed. Yes, that's right. (laughs) Um, Cool. That's amazing. Um, Bees. Huh? Now I want bees. Now you want They're bees. They're so fun. They're beautiful. Yeah. All of my bee knowledge comes from reading The Secret Life of Bees, um, which, of course, is a fictional book, but it contains a surprising amount of bee knowledge. Um, bee information. It's a great book. <laughs> um, okay. So book launch in couple days two days mm-hmm. two days um and you're having a big party and of course you've done this amazing launch campaign um mm-hmm. i'm sure you've got goals around it you certainly don't have to like share them publicly but mm-hmm. you know what's um what's next like what's coming up for like book stuff are you um you've got your party are you like signing anywhere are you doing tours are you speaking like what what's going on yeah I'm excited um I am so my party is the night before my launch which Mm was recommended by like every author that I ever encountered was like do the party the night before it's the last night that it's like yours you can send it out into the world your friends can help you um so that's cool so we're doing that tomorrow night or the night before the launch which is also tomorrow night in this world and um yeah hundred people are coming to not that. in your world listener where yeah, that's, that's I was like uh <laughs> yeah. the party already happened a month ago and it's, it was great we had a great time yeah. um, should have been there <laughs> Um, yeah, hundred people will be there, which I'm excited to have that many. And, um, I'm going to sign there, give a little book talk and a little champagne toast. My brother owns a brewery, so we're going to give his beer. So it's like a little beer and bubble brews and bubbles is what I'm calling yeah. it. So Where is bubbles and bees again? Tell us. And bees. I live in Monmouth County, New Jersey. So it's okay. in Red Bank, New Jersey. It's like a, um, beach town. That's a suburb of New York city. Okay. So, um, a lot of city dwellers 
down here. Um, so yeah, we're going to have a party, which is going to be fun. And then I do have a couple like local Barnes and Noble signings that are going to be fun. And then um, local bookstore signings too. So I have two or three local like little like indie bookstores here, which I'm like super pumped about. I love a local bookstore. It's like my favorite place. It smells so good in there always. So I'm going to go there three different ones this summer and then two Barnes and Nobles this summer. Um, one with another group of authors that someone set up um, in Delaware, which is cool. So I'll be at that Barnes and Noble in June and then the one closer to my house in July. Um, yeah, some speaking stuff, just like kind of continuing. I Okay, I do want to say this. I had to really reframe my thinking because you think you like get to this launch party and this launch and you're like, whoo, I did it. No, no, you, you didn't. That's the starting line. Like that's the, it's not the finish line, but it's, it feels a little bit like both. And so I really have been like the last month been like, no, reframe your thinking, Megan, this is the starting line. This is the starting line party. This is where the start line is. So, um, yeah, I do have a goal. I want to sell based on my pre-sales. I think I can, I want to sell 3000 copies in four months. And I think I can do that um, because I'm almost halfway there anyway. And we're like two days to launch day. So yes. I feel like it's like a reasonable goal um, in the first four months. And I'm okay to hustle. Like I'm not scared of the hustle. So yeah, Barnes and Noble, local bookstores, launch party, online stuff. Just, I'm just going to keep it moving. Keep, keep doing it. Amazing. I know something that we've talked about a few times with other authors on this show is the fact that being a hungry author does not just get you to the book, right? It doesn't just get you to a publishing deal or a self-published book or whatever. Being a hungry author is something that carries you all the way through the whole journey. You got to do the launch and then you got to start thinking about the next book too, right? Yeah. That's so (laughs) funny. You're like that third person. (laughs) It's like, what's the next book? And I'm like, can we have a minute? (laughs) (laughs) I told my husband, having, having, doing a book, writing a book is like getting a tattoo. It's like, once you get one, you're like, Ooh, what's my next one going to be? Even though it hurts, even though it's painful when you're doing it. Yeah. 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 People have multiple children and I heard that hurts like hell. So I feel like (laughs) you can like figure it out. Megan, I want to know. So, you know, a lot of times whether people are looking for, you know, the book to sort of change the trajectory of their career or not, often it just happens. Like a lot of times authors or like aspiring authors, they are looking for a career as an author. They want to like write multiple books or launch a speaking career or, you know, sort of let this become like what they're known for. A lot of people, like actually a lot of my ghostwriting clients, they're like digital entrepreneurs. A book is sort of a piece of what they do and they always intended it to be that, you know, Mm -hmm. it was just like a piece of their business that sort of functions in a different way within their business, but they don't identify primarily as an author. But regardless of whether they want it to or not, the book often does sort of take on this life of their own, its own, and it does give you a certain amount of authority that you didn't have before. And so I'm wondering, aside from numbers and of course, like, impact that every author hopes their book has like for you personally in your career 
what do you hope this book does for you? Or did you just, or do you not have that hope? Which okay, again, is totally fine. I'm just always curious, like what people sort of are looking for in their own life out of writing a book. Yeah, I have thought about this so much and I can't come to one like succinct conclusion because mm -hmm. people ask that. They're like, is this your new job? Like, is this what you're doing? And because I work in the faith-based nonprofit space, like, like, are you leaving us? Like, it's like everyone's, you know, like we have so many questions. Yeah. I just always want to do whatever feels right next. That's like in anything. And so for now, I can balance these two things, right? Like I can balance this, like, writing career with some podcasting and an online presence and my my full-time job that pays my healthcare and my benefits you know like i can balance that and those are beautiful things i i don't know if i'm always going to be able to do that and so i just like for today this is okay in five months from now i don't know I, you know, I, I don't know what I hope is that I love communicating. I always want to be communicating. I want to be chat. I'm a chatter. I want to chat with people. I want to write and I want people to feel something because of what I say or what I write. And however that looks in my life, I'm okay. But I think a life of communication for me is something that I'm very interested in. Um, if it morphed into this is the soul of what Megan does. If it pays the bills, I'm okay with it. Um, if it doesn't, like there's, there's also some very like practical things that come along with a life like that. Right. And because I am not married yet, like I, I'm, it's just me, I'm dependent on my income and, you know, like there are realistic things that have to come into play. Um, uh, and for all of us, whether you're married, unmarried children, no children, like there, everybody lives in the real world, but, um, yeah, I think for now, I'm okay with the balance of this is a part of my life. Um, but if it gets even like 50% bigger, that's when I feel like I'll have to start making some decisions on what happens next. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely see that. And and you do have to um, remain practical. And, yeah. you know, people, I'm thinking of like the ad common advice for entrepreneurs, not that, you know, I've, I don't, well, there's a lot of um, similarities between being an author and an entrepreneur. Maybe. Oh, it feels just like that. Yeah. I mean, it yeah. is in a lot of ways kind of starting a business, mm -hmm. even though it doesn't maybe look like that from the get-go, Yeah, um, but there definitely are a lot of similarities. Um, but I know, you know, the common advice is like, keep your day job as long as possible, do That's this on right. the side as long as possible. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I've walked you know, other authors kind of through that decision of like, when is the right time to make this your full-time thing? And it's never, never easy. It's different for everyone. Yeah. Um, so Megan, what do you wish that you had known about anything in this process about launching, about self-publishing, about books in general, you know, that you didn't know a year ago? Yeah. How much I wouldn't sleep anymore. Um, <laughs> would have even <laughs> um, that I should have taken stock in coffee and then, you know, a lot of different money things happen. No, um, 
I don't know that there's any way to prepare someone for what this feels like. I told someone the other day, I am having an out of body experience in a great way every single day. Like I look at this box of books, I'm like, oh, they're mine. Like, oh my God, that's my book. Like, you know, that's my words that are in there. Or someone calls like the Barnes and Noble email. I was like, are they emailing me? Like, is this an ad? Like, (laughs) do you want to do this signing at Barnes and Noble? There's all these other authors in your blah, 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 blah. We'd love to have you. It's like a 10 author signing. I'm like, wait, what me? You want me to be there? Why me? You know, like there's just these like out of body things that happen that I don't think you can prepare someone for anything I would say would prepare them for, except that like, it's just so cool. Like the whole process is so cool. And I feel like for the first time in a really long time that even the hard things, cause there's hard, like part of this is really difficult, right? Like we can't say like, it's all rainbows and butterflies and it's so beautiful and great. Like, no, like I, I also cry myself to sleep sometimes. And, you know, like there's real life things that happen and, you know, or even, even rejections in the midst of it, right? Like, no, this person doesn't want to read it or you know, whatever it is. Um, but the flip the script for me has been in gratitude. Like, I just feel so grateful that this is what's happening right now, that even the hard stuff feels okay. And that hasn't always been the case in my life. So I'm just like really trying to operate in a launch season of like over, over thanking people and being really intentional about being present because it can feel like a tornado um, and does. So making sure that I am like in this room when I'm in this room and in this conversation when I'm in this conversation and yeah, it's great, but it's a lot and there's no way to prepare. Yeah. That's, thank you for sharing that. I feel like we love sharing success stories and stories of people who, you know, quote, like did something right or are experiencing the kind of success that we know our listeners want to experience yeah. And learning from what you did. But I do think it's really important to say, like, you know, I really like my dream was to have this person endorse it. And they said no. Yeah. You know, or like yeah. my dream was to, um, you know, whatever, see my book at this bookstore and they didn't want to host me. You yeah. know, like there are all kinds of compromises we make along the way, which yeah. doesn't make it any less of a success, but it does, you know, it can hurt. It can, like, like you said, it can feel like a million pardon me, a a million like little rejections along the way, a million little ways this didn't go exactly how I wanted it to go, regardless of, you know, the success that you're seeing on the outside, you know, like that's, yeah, yeah, thanks for that. I certainly don't want to like end on a bummer note, but I do think (laughs) it's always good to remind people that like, yeah, no, it's not going that way. You know, I don't know, like sometimes um, I feel like Tim Ferriss did Oh yeah. I did a podcast one time. It was really great. And it was basically like he's experienced, you know, like astronomical success, the kind of success that most people won't experience, frankly. And he did a podcast episode that was basically like, I am successful, like in spite of myself, like for every time you see me have a best-selling book, like there are like three days in a row when I sleep until 11 and then I hate myself for it. And then I feel depressed the rest of the day because I didn't get up and work. And then all of a sudden one day I have a decent day and I crank out enough writing that, you know, it Mm -hmm. propels me to the next 
day, five days down the road where I finally have another good day of writing with four yeah. bad days in between where I did nothing and I experienced self-loathing because I did nothing, you know, or whatever. <laughs> and I just, yeah, it's just, it's good to remind everybody that like, there, it was hard too. And things went terribly, you know, uh, it's going to be hard. And I think that's just like, it's just a lie for like, everybody should do it. Just, you shouldn't like everybody. Shouldn't. Right, right. You should, if you're called to, if you're supposed to. Right. But like, it is really difficult. And there are a lot of tears in this process. And there's a lot of pain. And a lot of times where I was like, I just have to walk away from this conversation, this note, this, whatever it is, yeah. take a walk, like clear my head, drink some water, figure it out, and then come back to it. And I think the important thing is to come back to it, right? Mm -hmm. Like, okay, you can have the hard day. You can cry yourself to sleep. You can be like, where on God's green earth is this money coming from? Like where, you know, a lot of the, the stress in this kind of situation could be financial. So like, where is that supposed to come from? Like, yeah. but okay. So just come back to it, to put, take your pause for that minute and just go back to that thing. But I think the danger would be walking away forever. The cool thing would be, I'm just going to take a walk and figure this out. And if it's tomorrow that you figure it out, then all right, like nobody died. You're fine. Like it's tomorrow. You're writing a book. It's tomorrow. Just do it tomorrow. I love that. Thanks. Megan, where can people find out about your book and connect with you? Yeah. My website is meganefalkner.com. Super simple. My Instagram is just meganefalk, F-A-U-L-K. And those are the best places, really. Those are the, my most active places. There's a little Facebook activity. It's To be honest, I'm embarrassingly easy to find. Like if you just like put my name in something, it will come up. I don't know why. I The, the algorithms are good to me. So, I think that's yeah. a, I mean, that's a great thing. That's a good <laughs> problem to have. Most people have the opposite problem. <laughs> yeah. My website's the best because it just drives you everywhere else. So that's the one to go to. And then you can always listen to wife me up. It's a great little, a fun little show, little podcast. We have about 30 minutes every week. Yes. And you could hear us on it in the past. We were on it <laughs> right when before you launched, right before you yes. launched your first podcast. Yeah, that's right. It was in January. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Anyway, yes, go listen to Wipe Me Up. It's so fun and so cool. And our, our episode is months back now, but you should go find it. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah. All right. Thanks so much, Megan. Thank you. Thanks for having me today. Thanks for being part of the Hungry Authors community. If you like this episode, could you do us a huge favor? Head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. We would so appreciate it. You can also follow us on Instagram at hungryauthors or hungryauthors.com, our website, to get more information about our masterclasses and upcoming episodes. Remember that you have a story and a message worth publishing. And if you've got the hunger, you can make it happen. Mm -hmm.